you know, this isn't necessarily the, the series that I had thought that I'd be focusing on, if you asked me three, four months ago. Uh, but the more that I've really thought about it, the more that I've prayed about it, the more I realize I can't think of a subject that's more relevant to all that we're facing in our culture right now. And, and I hope that that's going to make sense even as we spend time this morning and let alone in the, uh, in the weeks and even months to come. Uh, now, usually we're going to you know, look at this and we usually start by reading the, the part of the God's word that we're going to look at. And, and, and we're not going to go through all 10 commandments every week. They're given in Exodus chapter 20. And so this morning, because we're starting this off, even though we're not going to really look that deeply in all 10 of them, uh, what I want to do is I want to start by reading that whole account where God gives us these Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. If you don't, there's one in front of you. It's on page 86 of the Bible that's there. But let me begin by reading Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. There we go. You shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant or your livestock nor the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God has given you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Well, it's kind of skipping. I'm sorry. Um, We're getting there. Uh, do not, com- uh, uh, let me go by memory, okay, do not murder, do not commit adultery, um, do, not, um, do not steal, do not commit false witness, and do not covet, here we go, thank you very much, and then lastly, the last one is do not covet, um, and do not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, or his ox, nor his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's, and uh, may God bless the reading of his word, even if it took us a while to get through it. Uh, Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege that we do have to come together this morning, Father, to be able to dive into your truth. Thank you for the things that I I know that you're teaching me, that you're laying on my heart, and Father, how you're stretching me even in my own study of of not only this passage, but this whole whole, uh, teaching of the Ten Commandments. Father, thank you for the incredible truths that you give us. And I pray now that you would speak through me and in spite of me. Father, help us to not only understand, but Father, to your truth, but understand how do we apply this truth to our lives and to our culture. Father, help us to see that you've given us these truths as as precious foundations for life, for culture, for for living. Father, I pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might look at these big blocks up here and you're thinking, okay, this is really different. And then you see the video beforehand and you think, that's that's really different. You You know, what in the world is this all about? And, uh, and you might, some of you know, it's, okay, this is a giant version of the game Jenga. Now, how many of you know about the game Jenga? Okay, m- most of you, but not everybody. For, for those that don't know, let me take a moment to explain it. Uh, it's a game that is comprised of a, 
usually have a bunch of small wooden blocks. You know, you play on your table. And each block is three times as long as it is wide. To begin the game, they're all usually stacked up into this one big you know, stack where there's uh, you know, three on each layer, but each layer of three blocks is, is lined up opposite of the, the layer that is above and below it. And uh, to play the game, what happens is players will take turns, as we saw with Joseph and, and Luke, you know, taking a block out, and you gotta take one out and then place it on top of the stack. And the challenge is, can you take one out without causing the whole thing to fall over? And the winner is the one who, you know, is, uh, is the, the loser is the one that knocks it all over. And, and, you, and you think, wait a second, I thought we were talking about Ten Commandments, and what in the world does that have to do with Jenga? Now think about the whole idea of Jenga. It's a game where there's a tower that's made of, again, a bunch of blocks. And the thing is, is that if you think about it, from the very beginning, the tower's really strong, but anytime you take out any block, it, it really does weaken the tower. But while there are some that you can take out and might weaken it, there are other ones, especially as you go, that there are, there are blocks that become essential. So even if you look at the way that the game is set up here, I mean, we have two blocks at the very bottom here and two that are here. And, and if I take out either of those four blocks, the fact is the whole tower rests and you cannot balance, you know, if you take out these essential blocks. And so that's part of the idea. Now, here's the point. Our, think of our lives as a tower that we're building. And think of us as a tower, or a culture is a tower. And, and we might say, well, it's not very stable right now. And see, here's what you need to realize, is that when we think of building a life or building a culture, uh, what we've got to realize is that there are blocks in that tower that are essential, that are foundational. There are, there are truths, principles, blocks that are there that you cannot take out without destroying the whole tower. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are God's foundational truths for our good. They're foundational to, to who we are, to what we're trying to build. And um, now to fully understand the significance of the Ten Commandments, let me step back and remember, remind you of the context in which they're given. Now we read uh, Exodus 20 where, where they are given. Uh, but again, that's kind of in a story. What we find in Exodus 20 is we kind of refer to in Exodus 20, God says, you know, I've take, delivered you out of slavery. And, and this is right after God has delivered the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, his people. Now, in fact, if you go to Exodus 14, they just have crossed the Red Sea. They're just there. And they're in the process of going from Egypt to the promised land where God has promised that he will establish them as a nation. Now, here's the thing that's really important to realize with this. Before this, they've never existed as a nation. You see, when Jacob and his sons first went to Egypt, it was because they were out of food, and Joseph, one of the sons, had, had kind of been established as a, as a ruler down in Egypt, and he had, had said, come down here, I'll provide for you, I'll take care of you. And so they go down there as a large family. And then they're down there for a period of time, and then over time, the rulers of Egypt changed, and they turn against Jacob and the family, against Joseph, and they then enslave that family as a group of people, and they are then held in slavery for 400 years. Again, that's, you know, that's like almost twice as long as our country's been in existence. And in that 400 years, the, the population grows from a large family to now a significant nation. 
But in the entire time that they've lived in Egypt, they've never had their own rulers. They've always been under Egyptian slavery, under Egyptian rule. And even now, they've been set free, but they don't have any system of government. They don't have any laws. They don't have any kind of constitution, nothing. And so God has brought them out. They have just gone into into the, the wilderness. They're going to a place where they're going to establish a country, a nation. And God says, okay, as you get ready to become a people, a nation, now I'm going to give you these 10 principles to build life upon, to build your country upon. These aren't 10 recommendations. They aren't even 10 rules that we seek to live by, but they're 10 foundational principles that they and we as individuals who seek to follow after God need to build our lives upon, and that should define any culture that seeks to be a healthy culture. It's the foundation of their nation. And for, again, any culture that seeks to be healthy. Now, it's common for us to look at the Ten Commandments and see them far more simply, to see them as rules to live by, that things that God wants us to follow. And there is a sense that you could say, yes, they are rules. There is a sense that they are moral law, but they're far more than that. They're not just rules, they're moral principles and, um, and um, you know, that it gives us. Uh, you know, they're, they're foundational principles. I'm sorry, that by... Um, my, my, my slides are a little out of order, so I apologize for that. It's just, you know, you're thinking, wait a second. Um, you know, aren't they, aren't they, you know, aren't they, you know, just rules to live by? And aren't they the Ten Commandments? Well, again, if we go to Exodus chapter 20, we read a moment ago, they don't ever, they don't, they're never listed as the Ten Commandments there. And, um, and so if, if they're anywhere, what you have, they're listed as the Ten Commandments. Called that is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy is, is, is God is, uh, you know, Moses is about to die. Before he dies, he calls together the people, the people of Israel. And he calls them together and he wants them to, you know, kind of re, to, re, to restate the law, in a sense, to remind them of the foundational truths that they need to have as a country. And as part of that, he restates the Ten Commandments. And look at how he describes them in Deuteronomy 4. This is his introduction. And he declared to you this covenant, God. God declared to you this covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Now, this is the significance of that. Is it, as we may look at this, what says it's the Ten Commandments? Well, the word here translated commandment, actually in the Hebrew, is almost never translated commandment. In fact, it's, it's most literally and almost always translated as word. So if you were to translate it literally, it would be he's given you these 10 words. Now to add to that, we might say, well, what kind of word? Well, isn't a commandment a word? Well, it could be, but most commonly that word described for word, when it, if you say if it describes a kind of word, it's not usually a commandment, it's a promise. So he's saying, God has given you these 10 words, and these are words of promise. Now keep that in mind, because we're going to even come back to this. But here's what we've realized, is that these aren't just 10 rules. These are God's words for his people. They're 10 foundational principles, which they and which we are to build our lives upon, which he wanted them to build their nation upon. And what he's saying here is that these are words of promise. Meaning, if you listen to these, if you build your lives upon these things, they will be the source of health for you, of prosperity, of blessing. And that's, that's, it's a foundation for our health and prosperity, personally, as well as our culture. 
And so these are truths that are foundational to our health and prosperity, personally and as a culture. And now, this is a much deeper view of the Ten Commandments than I think many of us often think. You see, it's tempting to, again, just look at them simplistically and say, well, no, it's these set of rules, and God told us to do that. And, but we've got to see it as principles. And if you understand that they're principles, then it will change the way that we approach them. See, one of the things that we're going to be doing throughout this time is see them as anything but simple. We've got to go deep, and we've got to be able to say, okay, how do we understand not only what it says, but the heart behind it? Because the Bible digs deep and just not only says, well, do this or don't do this. It's, so this is the heart attitude, that God wants to change our heart in it all. And not only that, not only do we need to go deep, but we need to see it broadly. Because they're foundational principles that literally should shape the way that we view the world. And, we, and when we see it broadly, we see that it's going to touch on a whole host of issues. They're building blocks. But if we understand this whole idea, then, okay, what is the nature of foundational building blocks? Okay, let's go back to our, our game here of Jenga. You know, when we, when we talked about this before, we talked some about the whole nature of even Jenga building blocks. And I, and, I, and I said, which is true, I could probably remove some of the things here, as you saw them playing that earlier. You could remove some, and it might weaken the tower, but it may not fall. Um, or I could... I can maybe take out maybe this one, and, and even if it falls because it's, it's up at the middle or toward the top, the top might fall, but the bottom might still stand, right? So we were trying to figure this out. But what one of the things that we talked about is this, is that there are some blocks that are essential. And so even if you look at that, as we've seen before, you know, here at the very bottom, I mean, I've got two, and they're each holding up half of the weight. And, and, and the whole tower is resting on that. And the fact of the matter is, no matter what I feel about that, no matter what I think, I can be as careful as I want. If I come back and I remove this, this block, the whole thing's going to fall. I can't do it otherwise. See, the nature of building blocks is simple. When you remove a foundational block, everything falls. That's a truth. That's something that you cannot escape. I cannot escape it when it comes to a game of Jenga, and I cannot escape it when it comes to the building blocks that God has given us personally or in our, our culture. Now, the fact is, is that if I'm doing it in a game of Jenga, I lose the game. You know, it's, it's bad, but it's not a tragedy. If I'm talking about building my life and I remove a foundational building block and it falls, my life falls apart and it's tragic. When we do it with our culture, the culture falls apart, and it's a, it's a tragedy. Now, when you understand this, what you've got to see is that this starts to explain an awful lot of what we see happening in the world around us. That when you see the chaos and this confusion and turmoil in our culture around us, what the problem is is that we're removing foundational building blocks, and the chaos is the consequence. We've removed these blocks from our culture, and, and we're seeing the resulting devastation. See, when we see confusion and, and chaos and brokenness in the world around us, it can all be traced back to walking away from the Ten Commandments and thereby removing what God has established as essential building blocks that are to be the foundation for our own culture. And so, for example, over the last 18 months, 
you know, we've had incredible increase in crime along with the kind of rebellion against police and other authorities. You know, that's all traced back to rejecting one of these foundational blocks. This month, you know, it's LBGT Pride Month, and we have churches in our culture that are flying the, the pride flag in front of their church as if that should be the defining belief of their church. And we say, well, how can that be the defining belief that that's first and foremost? You know, it all goes back to removing another one of those blocks. It's all rooted there. We have incredible confusion on, on, um, and, and, you know, within the whole idea of credibility. And so in this crisis of credibility, we have politicians, we expect to lie. And then we have news organizations which used to tell us the truth so that we can define what is truth and what we believe, but now the news profession is seen as one of the most distrusted professions in our country. And it's all the result of walking away from another one of the foundational blocks. We have an increasing crisis of racism, and that too is linked back to one of the blocks that we've removed. There's controversy and confusion over the transgender revolution which, re revolution, which also goes back to one of the blocks that we've taken out. And I could go on and on. Even problems like high stress level in, amongst Americans is because we've taken out one of these blocks. And, and you might be sitting there saying, well, what does it go back to? Well, that's what we're going to be doing in the course of this, of this series. We're going to be looking at these commandments, looking and seeing how they're, they're blocks and seeing all that it impacts when we walk away from them and how it undermines so much within our, our lives and in our culture. And in the weeks ahead, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into these 10, 10 words, these 10 foundational principles from God and, and try to understand not only what they mean, but what it means to keep them and, and how to live them out and how they impact our view of our world and, and how essential they are into our culture. And, and I look forward to that. In this series, I'll tell you, there's going to be a lot of weeks. It's going to be a lot more in 10 weeks. We're probably about 18 weeks. And there's going to be a lot of weeks. We're going to spend two weeks. And we're going to say, okay, we've got to understand this. And we've got to understand the impact. And in some of the weeks, we're going to even do interactive. And we're going to give you a chance to text in. And we're going to try some different things through the series. Because it's so relevant, so real, so practical. And we want to be able to dig down into it. But this morning, we're not going to get into the Ten Commandments. We're actually going to spend the rest of our time in the introduction and you say, well, we read that. I didn't know, even know there was much of it. There is a little introduction, and we shouldn't skip over it because it's really vital. See, what it tells us is it tells us the prerequisites to understanding God's truth. There are things that are there that are saying, here are, the, here are, the, here are these truths that are underlying the truth. You've got to understand these things before you can understand and apply the truths in the Ten Commandments I'm about to give you. Let me put it this way. In, in the founding of American, our, our US, uh, as, as a country, we have our Constitution. And in the Constitution, there's something that is called the, the preamble. And, and let me just go ahead and read the preamble of the US Constitution. It says this, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, prosperity, whatever word that is, um, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And, and um, now we look at that and you say, what is that? Essentially what that's saying is, these are the truths that are behind what we're about to say in the constitution. These are our common presumptions. You know, the kind of the prerequisites to understanding this. 
Now, as we look at Exodus 20, again, what is this? This is, in a sense, the founding constitution for the people of Israel. It's the founding documents, the foundational truths. And what we have is in verses 1 and 2, him giving us the preamble. This is what it's based on. Now, we might look at that, it might not seem that much. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It may not seem significant, but it is. Because here's what he's saying. He's teaching us some some really important truths that we need to start with. The first one is he's saying this, is that we live in a world where there is such thing as transcendent and absolute truth. Where there's truth that transcends time. And all absolute and transcendent truth all come from God. That's the only source that it will ever be found. That's why God begins. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God. You know, what he's saying here is these, these, these are not the words of Moses. It isn't like the, the, you know, the leaders got together and voted and thought of these things. God's saying, I am God and I am speaking. I am the one who is your God. I'm the one who is the source of everything that you are, everything that you have. I'm the source of all truth and I'm establishing my authority. Now I'm giving you these, these 10 principles and these principles have all my authority. They are as transcendent and absolute and truth as I am. Now, when we talk about it being absolute and transcendent, it's absolute in the sense that it's true for all people, all times, all cultures. It's always true, and it's transcendent in that it transcends time. So we say, well, time has changed, and culture has changed, and yeah, but there's something that is outside of time, that is above it. So even if time is changing, and cultures are changing, and values are changing, there is a truth that is transcends it, that never change, and that reaches into the truth no matter where or time, no matter where that time is going. And so these things are always true. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we live in a world that doesn't value this in the same way. We live in a value that talks about postmodern truth. And, and basically, postmodernism is this idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And so we hear it all the time. People say, well, when it comes to religion, you know, the goal isn't to describe, define who God is, it's to define my God. That's your God. This is my God. This is what I believe about God. When it comes to morality, well, there's no such thing as absolute morality. There's no such thing as right and wrong. This is wrong for me. That's wrong for you. And even we have even now things of sexuality. Well, this is my sexuality. I believe I'm this. And you have to recognize my reality. And we hear that all the time. And this idea in our world, there's no absolute standard that transcends my opinion, my feelings about something. But let's think about that. Let's evaluate that. You know, let's start by saying, I'm not a very handy person. Those who know me, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't know how to fix a whole lot of things. And uh, in fact, you know, sometimes if something's broken and I'll say, if I go fix it, Sandy gets more likely to get nervous because she's afraid that I'll do more damage to it than, I, than fixing it. Chances are I'll probably cost more than save. Um, even the other day, you know, we had a, a clogged sink and I snaked the sink and she comes up and she says, you did it, you cleaned it. And I'm like, it's just snaking a sink. It's really easy. Are you surprised by that? And she says, oh, no, I knew you could do it. And deep down, I could see her thinking, she's saying... I've lived with you almost 30 years. I'm shocked that you pulled this off. You know, you know, yeah, you, you have a well-earned reputation of being you know, incompetent on these things. And, and the thing is, is that I'm not really good with, with building, and, but there are some things that I know. You know, one of the things that I know, if you're going to build something, you need tools. You need tools to tell you things. So, for example, 
you know, if you're building, let's say, a, a table or something, you need a level. It's a great tool. It tells you if something is straight. You know, I could put this, you know, if I'm sitting there, I'm building a table and it's, it's tilted, there's a little bubble here, and if, you know, if I can say, okay, is this straight? Yeah, okay. You know, the bubble, no, it's, it's, on, the, it's on the towel, so it's not. Now, when I put it in the middle, the bubble's there. It's totally straight. So, whether, again, whether it's building a table or hanging a picture, it tells me what straight is. Probably the, the most useful tool of all, and, and being with anybody that has done any kind of building, you know, you have a, a tape, tape measure. You know, you're always tape, you know, measuring things, and you're, I've got to cut this, I've got to measure this, how long is it? And, and so you're always measuring this, and it's of great value. And, and the thing is, you've got to be able to tell distances. I need to buy a piece of wood, and I need to know the right length, and how, how you know, I need to cut it the right amount. Now, let's say you were going to do some kind of a uh, renovation, of, let's say an addition to your house. And so you talk to people and you say, do you know anybody that's a good builder? And they say, yeah, I, I, here's a guy. So you meet with the person. You say, well, tell me a little bit about your experience, about your approach to building. And he says, well, let me start by saying I'm a postmodern builder. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, you know, I'm, as postmodern, my belief is postmodern. I don't believe in absolute truth. You know, I realize that truth is unknowable and it's defined by each person's convictions. And so since we can't know what's absolutely true, the only important is what I believe is true for me. So we know that's true in morality. These are my convictions and my truth, and this is your truth. We know that's true spiritually. There's no such thing as absolute God. This is my God. That's your God. And since I know that that's the way to view the world, that's, I've taken that into my building practices. And so when we look at this, you say, I don't think there's such thing as absolute straight. You know, when I'm building a door frame, I look at it, and if it's straight to me, a level, man, that's something that's so limiting. You know, it, it limits that. And I'm going to look at something, and it's about my conviction. And, and if it's my conviction says it's straight, then, then I know it's straight. And you talk about tape measures. That's legalistic. I mean, how legalistic for someone else to come and force their standards on me. I mean, come on. You know, no. I have my own independent standards of me measurement. I come to my own conclusions about inches and about feet. And now, do you want to hire that guy to build your, your, your room? You can't. I'm not. <laughs> and the fact is, why, why wouldn't we? Because we know when there's a building, there is such thing as level, and there is such thing as feet. I've got blueprints, and it tells you it's got to be exactly this many feet, this many inches, this far. This is the blueprint. And you just can't go with the way you feel. Not only is it not going to work, it's probably never going to come together. And even if it does, you know, if you, upper, you know, as soon as you put any weight on it, it's not going to hold up against the strain of any weight. And we know that to be true. Now, we know that if it's folly to try to build something by postmodern standards, because there is such thing as absolute truth, and any time you walk away from absolute truth, it's never going to work. If we know that's true with building a building, then why do we question whether it's true with building a life, or building a character, or building a, a culture? See, we need to know what's straight, and we need to know what's true, and we need to know, you know what feet and inches are. We need to have standards. And if that's true when it comes to building a building, then we need to know spiritually there's truth and there's standards. And God has given us those tools in His grace. Now, the thing is, we can build it, it's, it's going to end up like this. 
When you take out, when you build without standards, it's going to fall. It's going to fall apart. When you take out the, you know, the foundational principles, it's going to fall apart. And we need to realize that we live in this world that, that is increasingly trying to build by postmodern standards that are taking out principles. And that is why it's falling apart. That's why we have the chaos. We live in a world where there is no truth, and as a result, we become unanchored. And it's blown and tossed by the opinions of the time, by, you know, what's in and meanwhile, as it's blown and tossed, we're being blown and tossed into all kinds of winds, you know, or rocks that are destroying us. And in the midst of that, God has given us his law as absolute truth in an unanchored world. That in a, in a world where we're just blown and we're tossed, where we, we, there's nothing to anchor us to. God says, no, I have spoken. These are principles that are true. They are, transcend time. They transcend culture. They're true for all times, all people, uh, you know, an inch is always an inch. Straight is always straight. His, his tools are always tell the truth. But you know, it's interesting even with this, you'll have people that will say, but, it, but don't be legalistic. Don't pressure it on me. And how dare you impose your values? But you know, those same people will then complain when someone then ignores values that they think are important. So, you know, let's take, for example, you have somebody that will say, how dare you impose it? Well, then you go to them and you lie to them about something important to you. How dare you lie? You go and you cheat them, you steal from them. They're going to get really upset really quickly because the fact of the matter is they value certain of those things as well. And the more that we get away from this, you see people falling apart. You see cultures falling apart. Let's even take, for example, let's in our schools. Unquestionably, and I'm thankful for Joseph and the ministry, but the fact is you have you know, cr incredible brokenness and chaos in our schools. And it's, it's you know, horrific to see suicide rates go up and depression and all these things. It's horrific to see even school shootings and something that you know, 20 years ago was just really rare, and now schools have you know, metal detectors in the hallways and armed cops and, because you just fear it as something that is an ever-present you know, threat now, which is unthinkable a generation ago. And it's interesting, anytime you have a big problem, if you school shooting, and people are like, how could that happen? What is going on? What went wrong? And do you think that maybe the problem is, is that we stop teaching right and wrong, like don't kill? You know, back in 1980, the Supreme Court had a case that came before it because somebody had donated money to uh, schools in Kentucky to uh, have the schools post Ten Commandments on their walls. And, and that was sued. You know, they had a suit brought against them, and the Supreme Court ruled it was illegal. Now, let me read from their actual opinion. This is not a case in which the Ten Commandments are integrated into the school curriculum where the Bible may consistently be used in an appropriate study of history, civilization, ethics, comparative religion, or the like. Posting of religious texts on the wall serves no such educational function. If the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, and perhaps venerate and obey the commandments. However desirable this may be as a matter of private devotion, it's not a permissible state objective under the Establishment Clause. So, what it's saying is that if we put the Ten Commandments, we might have people read them, know them, even respect them, and even obey them. And so we can't do that. We can't so we remove these blocks and we say we can't tell people that they're made in God's image. We can't tell kids that it's wrong to kill. 
And yet, then we're surprised when they bring guns in and they disregard life and we have things like school shootings. Do you think there might be a link? Do you think that maybe when you take out blocks like saying it's illegal to teach people, it's wrong to kill, then maybe that would possibly increase violence? Friends, do you see how relative this stuff, relevant this stuff is? See, if without God, there's no standard of morality. And when we teach that there is no God, that there is no truth, no absolute truth, we shouldn't be, just, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when, when our schools, when our culture, when our lives are a mess, when it falls apart. Now, now some people would say, but, but it's a bunch of rules, and, and you know, rules are bad, and you know, here's what I want you to see. These aren't rules to restrict. These are actually guidelines that, that help us to understand freedom and prosperity. See, we often will think of the Ten Commandments as primary rules. And as rules, we think of rules negatively because they prohibit us from doing things we want to do, things that we think might be good or fun. Now, that's not the purpose of the commandments. If you understand, you know, any, some rules might be that, but that's not God's rule. That's not God's law. That's it's God's purpose. In fact, let's go back to verse 2 of Exodus 20. Look what God says. The truth behind the truth. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's not only saying, I am God who has the right to say this, but I'm the God who loved you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I brought you out of slavery, and now I'm going to give you some things that are going to keep you from slavery. These are rules that I'm going to give you that aren't about, well, I brought you out of slavery, now I'm going to enslave you by a bunch of rules. The these are truths that if you understand them, they will help you understand freedom. Look what, what uh, James says about this. James chapter 1. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now here's what he's saying. What is the law? God's perfect law, the Ten Commandments, God's perfect principles. They're law of liberty. They're not law to restrict. They're not things to take away. They're things that give liberty, that give freedom, that give enjoyment. And they're things that if we understand these principles and learn to live freely within them, the result will be that we are blessed in what we do. They are the source of happiness. They are the source of joy. See, we think that anything that restricts us takes us away, but it's not. You know, let's even understand this somewhat in a different way. Let's take traffic laws. I don't know if anybody has ever gone to like a third world country and you've tried to drive in a third world city where nobody has, they don't have traffic laws, nobody's paying attention to them. Traffic doesn't move. Now, do traffic laws restrict or give freedom? Some or both, you know. The fact is, is that, you know, if I obey the traffic laws, I don't get to go as fast as I want. I don't get, to, you know, I have to stop at red lights. And, but the fact is, because I obey the traffic laws, I actually have freedom. Traffic moves well because everybody's obeying by certain laws that actually give freedom of movement. And, and the thing is, we can ignore the, the traffic laws, but it's going to be not only dangerous, but over time, the more we do it not only personally, but as a culture, the more it's going to restrict freedom. It's going to cause disaster. Now, we've got to realize that's what God gives us. But it starts by knowing them, by knowing the traffic laws. So if even we say there, so we say, okay, we, we know Manchester Road out there, speed limit's 55. That's how fast I'm supposed to go. No, that's not. Don't, don't drive that fast. Some people think it's 55. It's not. We need to know how fast it is. And if you don't know, you get in trouble. 
In fact, any of the 14, 15 year olds, you know, if you're, you know, you're getting ready to thinking about getting your driver's license. And you know what the first thing you have to do before you learn how to handle the car? Before you're able to get out in the road at all, you actually have to study the laws and take a test and show that you understand the basic laws of the rule of the road. You can understand how to drive a car very efficiently, but if you don't know any of the rules, you're never going to be a safe driver. See, we've got to understand the rules. Now, here's the application. We have people that will talk about the Ten Commandments. Do you know the Ten Commandments? So if I had you write down all ten, do you know them all? I give you, I'm not going to give you time to do it now. I encourage you to try it later. You know what they found is that they ask evangelicals this, and most can name, on average, seven. Very few can name all ten. We talk about it as being important, but we don't even know them. That's not of general population. General population, the average is under four. Okay, this is of people that are church-going evangelicals. Many of us don't even know them all. Try it later. See how well you do. And, and the thing is that if we don't know them, we certainly don't understand them. And if we don't know them and understand them, we're not living by them. They're not foundations to our lives. So we've got to know them, and we've got to understand them, and we've got to see that they're things that God gives us for good. But he not only gives us for good, but he gives us not so that we can somehow earn his favor. See, a lot of people think that. Okay, well, these are the rules, and if we keep this, then God's going to be happy with us. No, he gives us because we already have his favor, because we have relationships. It's actually what we see here is that the Bible gives us, God gives us these commandments as God's loving rules, not for anybody, but for those who are already his children. See, when I think about if I'm in a bunch of kids, I don't have, the only people, kids I give rules to are my kids, my kids, the ones I have relationships with. And you see this in the giving of the Ten Commandments. There's a beautiful thing here about this whole nature of God's law. A lot of people think, well, okay, well, God gave us the law, and then he had to keep the law, and if he kept the law, then God was going to accept them as his people. No, let me show you again in this preamble what he's saying. From the very beginning, God wanted to make it clear that his relationship with mankind isn't based on us keeping rules, but it's based on accepting grace. Let's go back to Exodus 20. Okay, let's look at the verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Key word, I am the Lord your God. Not I am the Lord the God, but I am your God. I have relationship with you. And Moses is saying, okay, you know, you have this relationship. And Moses, when God says this, he might be thinking, wait a second, how do we have that relationship? We haven't done anything. Well, can you cap the law? They don't have any law. God's given them no laws. They have no laws to keep. They have no sacrificial system. They have nothing. God's given them nothing to do. They've done nothing. They even don't know what they're supposed to do. And yet God says, before I'm going to give you any rule, I want to tell you that you're already my kids. I am your God and you are my people. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of, of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And, and even there, it points us back to how he did this. What is the core of the relationship? Go back to Exodus 12. And what you find is that as he brought them out, he did so through what was celebrated as, and as referred to as the Passover. God told his people, okay, we're going to have this meal, and it's going to be a celebration of my love for you. And as he gets this meal, he says, here's what I want you to do, is I want you to prepare a lamb. Now, they're used to that. He says, but here's what we're going to do. Take the lamb, and when you slay it, keep the blood, and then take the blood and put it on the door frames of your house. 
And when you do that, you're saying, I'm showing faith in God's promise and his provision. I'm going to be under the blood. And that faith in what God has promised and his provision, through that, God saves. And that was a picture that the people continued to celebrate throughout the centuries. That God, all the things God did is, I want you to show trust in me. Your need, that you need me, and then trust in my provision. And so now Moses is standing before God and, and Mount Sinai, and God says, okay, because of that, you are my people. I am your God. And because I'm your people, now I'm going to give you these rules not to establish relationship because they're already in. They already have relationship. The whole idea is that they, these were a confirmation of the relationship, not a condition. They already had this. You know, God had, had delivered them. They hadn't done anything. All they did is they showed faith in God's provision. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take a blood and have faith in that and stand under the blood. And, and because of that, and what do we do? You see, as followers of Christ, we recognize that that blood of Passover was a symbol of the ultimate uh, lamb that was yet to come, of Jesus, who would be put on the cross. And when he was put on the cross, his blood was on the frame of that cross. And those who have a relationship with him stand under the blood. Why? Because we have faith in God's provision. We are not saved by what we do. It's not by keeping rules. It's not any of that. It's by faith in what God has done for us. And so then why do we have the rules? Not to earn God's favor, but because we already have it. And it's him coming to us and saying, now that you're my children, I give you these rules. Why do I give my kids rules? I don't give them to everybody. I give them to the people that I love and the people I'm committed to because I give them guidelines and rules because they're for their benefit. They're to help them grow and be healthy and be the people that I want them to be. And that's what God does for us. And not only that, but then we understand our response. Our response to the commandments reveals that relationship with God. You see, I could be at, again, when my kids were at a playground, I could be there and call out, there's a bunch of kids, say, hey, come here, kids, come here. And only my kids are going to come. They're going to listen to me. They're not trying to say, well, if I come, then maybe they'll, you know, he'll keep me in the family. No, they already know that I'm, you know, that I'm their dad. They're my child. That's, that's acceptance. It's already there. But the fact that they come shows that they trust me, that they relate to me as a dad. They're relating to me. That's a confirmation of that. And so why do we obey the commandments? Not because we're trying to earn God's favor, but because we already have it because we already have this relationship with him as his children. And so we come to him and we say, because God, I trust you, because you're good, because you're the one that has delivered us from, you're the one that has saved us from that, you're the one, I trust that when you say that these are foundational principles that are for my good, I mean, I always like them, I mean, I always understand them, but you're my dad. And the more that I grow in my understanding of my dad, the more I want to align my life with the things that you tell me that are important. And the times that I get out of that, it starts to fall apart. And I realize that life doesn't work when I walk away from these principles. And, but you don't reject me because of that, because my relationship is always based on my faith in Jesus. But it helps me grow in my trust with you so that I learn to align my life all the more on the foundations that you've given me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a chance to close our service with communion. And even as we do this, it's a reminder of where we're ending. It's a reminder of the fact that, yes, he gives us the commandments. And some of us are sitting there, man, I've broken this, I've broken that. It's not how hard have you tried, have you well kept him, kept him, you know, God's not judging you based on what you've done. 
The question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you trusted in God's provision? Even as, you know, they put the blood on on the doorpost and said, I stand under the blood, you stand under Jesus. And you understand even the commandments aren't necessarily a way to earn God's favor. It shows us that we already have it. Do you trust him? Do you know him?